You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. I just went through an experience where I walked with someone as they were heading into the afterlife. I get a lot of questions about the afterlife. Let's t- we are ending October on remembering those of us who have gone into the afterlife. Let's just spend the month doing it. New sermon series started today, five weeks afterlife. What's going on over there, huh? What do we expect? What do we believe? What's happening? Uh, so I want to take four weeks and talk about that, if you would let me. And since you don't really have any veto power, I appreciate (laughs) your consent. After life, what's going on? What's happening? What do we believe? What does culture believe? How do those agree? How are they different? What does God's word ultimately say? Because that is our ultimate primary source of truth. As always, if you have any questions during the sermon, feel free to text that number, I'm going to make sure I see it. I have it open. We might have some time at the end. If I don't preach too long to answer those, I will certainly try to get to those through the week. But let's make this as much of a dialogue as possible rather than a monologue. But as I said, humans have a lot of questions about the other side. Of course we do. Of course we do. In fact, there are whole philosophies that say that's, that's every activity we do is either trying to prepare for or ignore our own mortality. Like, it is one of those back burner, back of the mind questions that are constantly simmering going on back there. But we spend a lot of time trying to avoid it. We spend a lot of time trying not to think about it. But we got questions. Let's do what we can to get into it. Not only do we have a lot of questions, but our culture loves to talk about it. And they got all kinds of ideas they want to put in your brain. Some good, some bad. I'm thinking of movies that I know. I watch, I love Coco. Every time he's just like, remember me. I'm like, just crying, just crying every time. But apparently the afterlife is you become a skeleton that kind of looks like you, apparently. Somehow your bones are shaped different. This is, this is Coco. Coco's representation of what happens. Pixar has a ton of movies, by the way, that has to do with death and dying. They, one of the big ones was just Soul. They did Soul. Another one of their big ones was Onward, where two brothers are trying to bring their dad back from the dead for one day. A lot of death, a lot of afterlife. Casper, I grew up with, right? He's the friendly ghost. Christina Ricci is the creepiest human being. They just put her in all the scary movies. This was a movie with Robin Williams where he goes to heaven and it's like an oil painting and the first person that greets him is his dog. And I like that idea. I want some childhood dogs to come greet me. Uh, This is The Tree of Life, Terrence Malick, one of the greatest movies ever made. Their rendition of heaven is that you get to greet your family on a beach somewhere. I don't know. It seems like you're ruining a good suit. But um, a lot of depictions of the afterlife gladiator the whole theme i mean his his wife and child are killed the entire movie he's been told that he will meet his family in the afterlife in the final scene spoiler alert it's over 20 years old sorry if you haven't seen it by now he dies and the final depiction is him going home and he sees his his wife and child in the background that's heaven walking through a wheat field Uh, i saw a bunch of uh, Instagram, TikToks, 
where people found this field and they're running through it. It made me so happy that people, it looks just like this still to this day. And then lastly, probably the one that shaped my mind the most besides Looney Tunes was uh, obviously all dogs go to heaven because they're all good boys or girls. And so, except the theme of that movie is he wasn't a good boy, but he has to redeem himself. And a lot of our culture has this idea that you get to become an angel, which is not, you, there are angels and there are humans and those are not the same thing. But part of our picture is that you get to become an angel. So the bad news, after we just got this idea that we all got questions, we all have a culture that is telling us about what that looks like. The bad news, I like to start with the bad news before we get to the good news so that we can better understand the gospel good news that Jesus has for us. There's a lot of bad theology out there when it comes to afterlife. Just a lot of not really scriptural stuff. Couple examples. There's a whole host of jokes that look like this. Right, we have this concept. It says, sorry about this, I died at a costume party, which I think is funny. Because the implication is whatever clothes you die in, that's what you're going to. And then we have, the, who's this figure? Say Peter in front of the, they call them the pearly gates, they're always gold for some reason. This comes from two verses, two small, tiny verses in the Bible. One, in Revelation at the end, it says the 12 gates were 12 pearls, and so that's where pearly gates come from, pearl. Right? The book of Revelation is a book of symbols, right? It doesn't, I don't think John's trying to tell you that there's going to be literal pearl gate. Maybe there is. I'm happy if there were. And then the other one is in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus tells Peter, I tell you that you are Peter, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so someone's like, well, he's got the keys. He must be standing at the pearly gates. That's not what that verse means at all. Has nothing to do with the afterlife. Has everything to do with how Jesus is going to build his church and on what foundation. Nothing, but they smash these two verses together and you got that, right? This is a, these, these jokes. So this is not real. You're not meeting St. Peter at the pearly gates. That's not going to happen. Another example is we've lost people before in our family, and people say things like this. Last example. God needed another angel. Hold up. One, God doesn't need anything. Just right off the bat. Number two, certainly not more angels. There's, every time they talk about angels, there's like unfathomable amounts of angels. And then number three, you don't become an angel. Just three things wrong with that statement right away. But we say things like that because we don't know what to say because the afterlife has a lot of questions about it and we just don't know what to do. And so those are two of my examples. Today I want to talk about mystery and I want to talk about middle space. If that's okay with you, what God's word says to us. If you've got some scriptures, open them to Luke. There's some in front of you if you want. Page number 806. It's also on the screen if you don't want to open the book. 806, Luke, Jesus on the cross. You've probably seen depictions of three crosses. I saw a, a video of a baseball player last night, a tattoo right here, three crosses on his neck. The reason he has three cross, there's three crosses often in depictions is because Jesus is crucified between two thieves is one of the words. Sometimes the word is revolutionaries. The word is lestes. Uh, it can be revolutionary, it can be thieves. And so three crosses, because Jesus is often depicted as being crucified between th two thieves. 
And in Luke's account of this story, uh, one of them starts to mock Jesus in his own in his own crucifixion, and the other one stands up for him. And so I just want I'm I'm really getting to the last verse here, but um, let's read the, the the part anyways, starting in 39. It says, one of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Responding, the other criminal spoke harshly to him, saying, don't you fear God, seeing that you've also been sentenced to die, but we are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you that today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord for the people of God. How we do things at the table, church, is that I always have three points. Something for us to know, something for us to feel, experience, something for us to do, so that we have a holistic faith that moves from our head to our heart to our hands and out into the world. I always ask the question, what does God want us to know, feel, and do when we come to these topics, when we come to these scriptures? So what does God want us to know? For me, what I want to convey to you about this topic of afterlife is that most of dying is a mystery. And we as Westerners do not like mystery. We like answers. And someone willing to give you answers can often become very popular or rich, depending. But really, God's word is very mysterious on this thing about dying and immediate afterlife. Very much, I want you to just step into the mystery, hold the tension. We call it creative tension. Hold it. Hold the tension. I'm going to try to flesh out why and how it is mysterious. First of all, it's mysterious because the Bible isn't all that concerned with the after-death part of afterlife. The Bible just has bigger things to talk about. It's got a much bigger goal it wants to convey to you for all of us. We are going to talk about what we believe in the next point, but just so you know, the Bible is not very concerned about what happens to you immediately after death. We get a snippet. We get a few verses here, there, everywhere, But the Bible has a bigger picture it's trying to convey to you. And so it it has a lot of mystery. Most of dying is a mystery. But there is a lot we can know. And so I wanted to give you a timeline of what we can know and believe just to help us. Number one, you are alive. You can believe that. You can know that. You hear me, I hear you. Number two, you will die. Probably. That's what the Bible says. Get on over into 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, not all of us will die, but all of us will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. But probably you will die. You can know that. You can believe that. What is the exception for not dying? Jesus will return. That's one of the things that we believe. If Jesus returns while you're alive, then you don't die. You just get transformed. Lucky you but probably you will die. (laughs) Okay, great. I'm so glad you're laughing because I think it's funny. One thing we definitely believe, one thing that you can bank on is that Jesus is going to return. That's one thing all Christians believe. And when Jesus returns, he's going to make all things new. 
He's, and he calls that new creation. It's coming back. Give it 10 seconds. See what happens. We call that new creation. They'll fix it. When Jesus comes back, he's going to make all things new. New heavens, new earth, new creation. And a part of that new creation is you get to be newly created too. And we call that resurrection. New creation for humans is called resurrection. Like Jesus was resurrected on Easter, Christians and Jews before them believe that humans will be resurrected. Who gets resurrected, the Bible says? We'll do this next week. Everybody. Living, dead, righteous, and unrighteous. This is why you might not die. If Jesus shows up right now, we don't die. We are resurrected. Transformed. New bodies, flesh, blood, touch, taste, see, smell, but maybe some other stuff too. Fly, walk through walls. We got some stuff. It's very cool. Does not die, does not perish, does not fade, does not get sick. That's the new creation part of humanity. Then once everybody gets a new body, what you can believe, great judgment. Everybody gets to be judged. And from judgment, the righteous get resurrected to a reward, and the not righteous are not. We'll get there too. Not today. But if you want to know about it, we'll get there. And then what's after that? Everlasting life. That's it. That's what we can know. Those are the things that we can know for sure. We can bank on from God's word and what the church has taught us for a long time. Where do we see that? We see that in scripture. And I just can't put down all the scripture for us for that. I'm happy to send that to you. But we see it in the creed too. If you know the creed, it's called the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And then it says, I believe in Jesus Christ talks about who Jesus is, and then the second half gives us a lot of what we just said. That Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father Almighty, and from there he will come. Jesus is going to come, and he will judge the living of the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. That's not just Jesus' body. That's all bodies, and life everlasting. These are the things that we can know. These are the things that we could put our hope and faith in. These are the things the scripture wants you to know about. So we put that timeline on one sheet. You are alive. You will die probably. Jesus returns. Resurrection for everyone. New creation for everything. Judgment reward. This is what we can know. This is what Jesus wants you to take to the bank. We, haven't foc we have focused entirely on the top line. That's what we want to know about. That's what our heart yearns to know about. That's what most immediately affects us. The Bible wants to talk about the next five lines. That's what, they want, that's what God's word wants you to know about. And so over and over again, the Bible talks about those, but we really want to talk about that. And we will. Next point, we will talk about that. So that's what we got. I have a short video from a group called The Bible Project that I enjoy immensely, and they're going to tell you basically the same thing that I just told you. Would you take a look at this video? What happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die. But that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day. 
when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. Yeah! Hey, I found somebody who agreed with me. Yes! Right, so when Jesus shows up in the book of Mark, the earliest gospel we have, and he proclaims his gospel, he doesn't say, I'm going to teach you how to get to heaven someday. He says, the kingdom of God is here, has come near. That's what he wants to talk about. He wants to talk about how he's doing that. That's his mission. That's his focus. That's his goal. But it's not wrong for us to want to know about the mysteries about that happens on the other side of glory on the other side of death and dying. So let's get into that. But I just wanted you to know that there's not a lot of verses about that. So a lot of bad theology has crept into that. Mostly I want you to be comfortable with mystery, right? God's word doesn't speak a lot about the part we most want to know about. So we must accept that most of that is mystery. And that's okay. There's lots of mysteries. There's lots of mysteries. So what is afterlife then? What is that pre-Jesus return, pre-resurrection life like? What we call heaven, which is interesting because when the Bible talks about heaven, they're not talking about the same thing that we talk about when we say heaven. But for, for today, I'll call it heaven. What is that like? How do we know what happens there? there there's, a, there's a group called the Seventh-day Adventists who we love dearly, brothers and sisters, they don't believe anybody goes to heaven. They believe everyone's just sleeping. So, so there's a lot of variation here. And so I want to just bring up some verses to talk about what God's word says happens, what it's like, what we believe is going on over there. Take it or leave it. There's a lot of mystery here. You don't have to agree with me. As long as you don't think we become angels, we're fine. That's, I'll let you, you have a pass. So what does God want us to experience, feel? What is that thing that we're all heading towards before Jesus comes back? This is how Christians have described it. Body asleep, spirit awake, and a restful intermediate space. Not fully heaven or hell, depending on your decision to follow Jesus, because the great judgment hasn't happened yet. You can't be fully rewarded or fully punished because you haven't gone through the judgment and you don't go through the judgment until you get resurrected and you don't get resurrected until Jesus comes back and so there's an intermediate place. This is how the Christians talked about it. Body asleep, spirit awake, in a restful paradise, intermediate place. Okay, that's what God wants you to experience. Where do I see that in scripture? I got a bunch of scripture for you. I just want to show you my list before I get into it. The Old Testament talks about a place called Sheol. Just everybody goes there. In Greek, we call it Hades. I know you've heard that term before, but you think of fire. That's not how they thought about it in the Bible. Jesus tells a parable about Lazarus and the rich man. Thief on the cross, we just read. Paul talks, has two lines about being absent from the body, and we got some saints in Revelation 5, 6, and 7, primarily in 5. And that's really it. 
This is really the list of scripture we have on what's going on when you die. And so all that developed theology we have is just kind of people kind of making stuff up and guessing. But let's get into it. The Bible, Old Testament especially, mentions a lot about this place called Shale. Shale, here's a verse from Psalm 89. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Shale? Selah. That's how I read Selah. Like, it's a mystery. I don't know. Everybody goes to a place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word was Sheol. That's what they believed. Intermediate, restful place for those who follow Jesus. Jesus tells a parable called Lazarus and the rich man. The Laz- this, this poor man named Lazarus and this rich man who doesn't get a name die. And they go to Hades. But there's a great chasm in the middle. And Lazarus, the poor righteous man, gets to be with Abraham. And... And the, the rich man, the unnamed rich man, sweating down there. Sweating and thirsty. That's the picture we get. He is not in a good space. And so Jesus says, these are Jesus' words, the poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried while being tormented in the place of the dead. Hades is the Greek word. He looked up and he saw it. He was like, that place looks pretty good. How do I get over there? And they were like, sorry. No can do. <laughs> This is Jesus' parable of what happens when we die. Paul says, St. Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, twice says to leave the body and to be at home with the Lord. He says, this is better. I wish I could do that, but God's going to keep me here for a while, so I got work to do. I'm on mission, but man, it'd be nice to go be with Jesus. Or he says, I want to leave this life and be with Christ, which is far better than being with y'all. So he says... But he says, well, I'm here. I might as well do some good. So for him, this concept of afterlife is better. This is Philippians 1.23. That's 2 Corinthians 5. Better to be with Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what he says. And so we have a, con- we, we, we have a concept of what we can know. We die. Jesus returns. Resurrection, new creation, judgment eternal life. But before Jesus returns, there's an intermediate space that scripture calls sometimes Sheol, that scripture calls Hades. It's somewhere in the middle. This is one of the greatest living scholars of scripture, I think. His name is N.T. Wright, the bishop of a church of England. And one of the first books I read in seminary was called Surprised by Hope, and it's all about rethinking heaven, the resurrection, and the mission of the church. Some quotes for you from him about what this space looks like. When the Bible authors did speak of heaven as a post-mortem after-death destination, they seemed to regard this heavenly life as a temporary stage on the way to the eventual resurrection of the body. When Jesus tells the thief that he will join him in paradise that very day, paradise clearly cannot be their ultimate destination. Paradise is rather the blissful garden where God's people rest prior to resurrection. When Paul says that his desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, he is indeed thinking of a blissful life with his Lord immediately after death. But this is, the only, this is only a prelude to what is to come. The early Christians hold firmly to a two-step belief about the future. First, death and whatever lies immediately beyond. And second, a new bodily existence and a newly remade world. One more quote from him. Paradise is here, the blissful garden, the parkland of rest and tranquility where the dead are refreshed as they await 
the dawn of the new day. I lied. I got one more quote. So sorry. I forgot. All the Christian departed are in substantially the same state, that of restful happiness. Doesn't that sound lovely? I just think of, I got five hours of sleep last night. I traveled home from Houston. I'm exhausted. I'm excited about burgers later. I'm, I'm not hungry. I've eaten a lot. But I want to eat more, you know, when you're that kind of tired. And I'm just researching about blissful, restful, paradise happiness. It made me think, I love memes. It made me think of some memes about sleep because I'm not a good sleeper. It's like, but you ever wake up from a nap and you don't know what year it is? I have. I don't nap. My wife, 20 minutes. She's just like, mm, ah. Me, five hours later, I'm like, what is happening in this world? I feel like Rumpelstiltskin. Is that the guy that slept? Yeah, I think. You ever take a nap so good that you thought you missed the school bus, but it's Sunday and you're 32? Yeah. You're like, ah. I still have dreams about an old job from when I was in high school. I was like, I forgot to go to work. I, like I said, I've been traveling. Is there anything better than your own bed? I just was sleeping on this hotel bed, and they told us it was Queens, but it was full. It was a full size. It wasn't big. And uh, not... Not good. I got home last night and just sank into my bed. This is the feeling that Scripture wants you to associate with what happens when you die. Blissful, restful paradise. Body asleep, soul awake. This is why Christians would say, we fell asleep in the Lord. We invented the word cemetery, which comes from, it's, it means sleeping place. Because it's temporary. Because we're going to get new bodies. They're going to wake up. But until now, we're resting. Do you remember John 11? Jesus' best friend is named Lazarus. And Lazarus died. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Lazarus is sleeping. He's sleeping. And they're like, well, if he's sleeping and he's sick, that's the best. Let him sleep. And he's like, you dummies. Because they're the disciples, right? They don't get it half the time. He says, he's dead. He's dead, but we're going to go wake him up. And so this is the kind of body sleep, soul awake, intermediate, restful, blissful place. This is what God wants you to experience. If I could put it in a, a diagram for you, this is where things get dicey. I might be saying too much. You don't have to agree with me here, but this is what the tradition and scripture comes together. That when you die, pretty much everyone's going to a place called this. Sheol or Hades or the land of the dead. But inside of that, there's a place called paradise where Christians gather. They get to be there. And they wait, blissful, happy, restful, until Jesus returns and takes all of that into resurrection and new creation. This is the picture we get of what we can kind of bank on for what's happening in the world. Not too dissimilar from what you believe and culture has taught you, but also a little bit different than what culture has taught you. You are not going to be a disembodied spirit for eternity. That's not what scripture teaches us. My man, John Wesley, uh, one of my favorite theologians from the 1700s. I'm wrapping up this point. I can smell burgers starting. His final sermon he dies in his 80s. His final sermon, two months before he dies, he's talking about this topic. It's called On Faith, but he wants to talk about on the other side of death. 
He says, this is what it's going to be like. We get to talk with, spend time with all the wise and holy souls that lived in all the ages and nations from the beginning of the world. We get to hang out with angels and archangels to whom the children of men, us humans, are no more than infants. And above all, we're going to get to spend time with Jesus. This is what he imagines that to be like. It's a good picture. Can't wait. If you die as a Christian before Jesus' return, you can expect to experience restfulness, happiness, paradise with the Lord. So what do we do then if this is true? What do we do? Is there anything for us to do besides just talking about what we believe and what we can expect? What does God want us to do? Less speculation, more preparation. You have a lot to do, in fact, and almost none of it has to do with trying to figure it out, what the mystery is. And almost everything has to do with you preparing yourself. I could put a million verses here, but the one that comes to mind, the one that's used most often in Christian history to talk about this preparation comes from Hebrews. And it says, Hebrews 12, strengthen your drooping hands and weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. Pursue the goal of peace along with everyone and pursue holiness as well because no one will see the Lord without holiness. Your job right now in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is to prepare yourself for heaven, not speculate. I read an article about preparation that I thought was funny to illustrate the point. Firefighters were preparing for people who fell through the ice in St. Paul, Minnesota. Is that where it is? Is that where, Minnesota, is that where St. Paul is? Great, thank you. As a good Californian, sometimes I don't know about the geography to the east. They're preparing for people who fall through the ice. Not a problem that we have, but they were preparing for it. And, and the reason why this made national headlines is because two hours, less than two hours after they did this, they completed their rescue training, they were called upon to put their practice into action. A cross-country skier fell through the ice. St. Paul firefighters got them to safety. The new firefighter who actually went in the water to effect the rescue, first of all, I love that they were like, 400 firefighters did this training, and they put the new firefighter in on the actual emergency. They're like, the old guys are like, we ain't getting back in there, brother. This, you got this. You just did it. <laughs> See one, do one. Each one, teach one. They put the new guy in, and uh, he said it was the first time he'd ever even been in the water. Um, for an ice, but the ice rescue suit was helpful. And so I, I love this because they were like, listen, we're not trying to predict where people are going to fall. We're not trying to predict uh, who's going to fall. We're not going to try to predict when people are going to fall through the ice. We're just going to be prepared. We're just going to be prepared for when it happens, and we're going to do our best to get them out. And that, I feel like, is the Bible's command to you. Don't speculate when, who, where, how much. Figure out how you are preparing yourself for your eventual demise. Because you are going to die probably. It's a good probability. And if not, and Jesus shows up even more, all the prepared you will need to be. Dwight L. Moody, one of the most famous preachers in the 1800s, traveling, well-known, he says this, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. That's your job. 
That's what you're supposed to do. Less speculation, more preparation. Preparation is key. We gotta focus less on speculation and more on being prepared. Questions or answers to any questions that I posed. Um, here's what somebody said. Please tell me you won't be uh, doing Revelation as a church sermon series. No, I will not. I just did a Bible study on it the la in the summer. So if you are interested in my thoughts on Revelation, it's all on YouTube. We went through it in 12 weeks. So I will not inflict that upon you here at this time. Someday. If you don't choose to follow Jesus in this life, do you still enter into the intermediate restful space? You still enter into the immediate, the intermediate space, not the restful side, the thirsty and hot side. If you're taking Jesus' Luke 16 parable of Lazarus and the rich man, uh, seriously. Great. This is a science question. I'll try to bring this up in a sermon. Great question. Great questions, everybody. Thank you. Um, here's what I want you to know. It's 11 o'clock. I've kept us late summarizing what I just said. A lot of bad afterlife theology out there. Be careful. Avoid speculation. Know and accept that most of dying and heaven, paradise, is a mystery. We really got about six verses that talk about it, and they talk about it pretty sparsely. To be with Christ is what Paul says. Be with Christ. This day you will be with me in paradise. We don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds good. I want to be a part of it. God does have blissful rest for us when our bodies sleep for a while, but spirits are awake in that intermediate state, and God wants you to have that. And you get that by following Jesus, putting your faith and trust in him. And that's what we want to end with. And our primary purpose is preparation. Are you prepared? Are you taking serious that eternity is a very long time? Unfathomably long. And God has blissful rest for you. But wants you to... Figure out, by the power of the Holy Spirit, how to enter into that rest. And the only way we can is through Jesus, his death, his resurrection. His is the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. And so this is your primary way of becoming prepared. It's making sure you're right with the Lord. If you want to talk about that with more with me, please do. You can put it on your blue card. Pray with me during communion. Happy to be doing that with you. And I'll be in prayer for you too. But be prepared, all of us. Whether you've been in Jesus for 30 years or for three years, our job is to prepare. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these texts. Thank you for that blissful rest that you have and desire for us. And thank you that you are going to make all things new, including these failing, flailing bodies of ours that are weak. Thank you. We put our hope into it. That is our hope, that you will make good on your promise to make all things new, including us, including this place, and that we will be with you forever and ever. Amen. In this space and place, though, Lord, we have lots of questions, lots of sadness, lots of fear, concern. 
Would your spirit enter and help us that we may receive the good news that we can be with you, that we can be reconciled to you, that we can be close to you, that we can be forgiven of our sins, that your grace can be applied, that the blood of your cross can be applied over us in a way that makes us whole and healthy and holy. Help us to continue on that path. For those of us who haven't started that path, that they start that today. That they would give their hearts and lives to you so that you could do the work in them to bring them to that place. And as we come now to this time of communion, this time of eating and drinking of the bread and of the cup that symbolizes your death, would you help us to enter into it for the first time or for again those promises that you have for us, that healing that you have for us, that salvation that you desire for us? Would we remember would we trust? Would we rejoice? Will we come with expectant hearts to meet you and receive you? Table Church, will you help me finish this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.